If you turn tonight to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, so we turn the corner tonight and we head from uh, what we affectionately call in the theological sense the doctrinal portion of the book of Romans and now we reach the, the duty portion. You see, God is always faithful to give us ways to apply what he has spoken to us as doctrine. And, and I would say to you as we turn our attention here to the first two verses of chapter 12, that we have to always remember that doctrine without duty is nearly useless. It's nearly pointless. If God were to simply tell us uh, principles for living and then not tell us what to do with them, then, then they would be uh, rather like those philosophy classes very often that we take in college. You know, they're useful for maybe thinking through things, but at the end of the day, there's really not much you can do with existentialism uh, as you try and think on what it actually does in your daily life. They're principles that ultimately you have to live by. And the Apostle Paul is now going to, to take us to that new place of applying what we've learned. And, and behind all the lists that Paul has, and very often you'll see in Paul's writing that he will include lists of things that ultimately are the way that we can apply what he has taught doctrinally. And that's very true moving forward here in the remainder uh, of the book of Romans. In essence, the way we believe needs to affect the way we behave. The things that we learn should end up in the way we live. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you tonight that what we have as we join together tonight is not a religion. Uh, it is a relationship with you, Lord Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the great I Am, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have a relationship with the Creator, the Word. And so, Lord, as you became flesh and dwelt among us, you transformed lives by relationship. And we pray that you would transform us yet even further tonight as we study your Word. Make it alive to us so that we can make it alive through us. We bless your name. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We use some buzzwords in our society today, and one of those is relational. People are very much in tune in our day and time and in our world today, tonight, to that which is relational. People enjoy relationship. They want to have a relationship with you. And I can tell you that's not a new thing. That, in fact, it's very biblical, and Jesus himself is probably the greatest uh, bearer of what we would call uh, relational theology. He developed relationships with people. He ministered within those relationships, and while ministering to needs and doing things with them, for them, and to them, he, he then opened the door to be able to share with them deep spiritual truths. Those deep spiritual truths then became part of their life. So in that sense, relationship is what the entire Bible is about. And it is in fact what Adam and Eve forfeited when they sinned. 
Remember what Adam and Eve had the opportunity to do. Join us, if you would, on Sunday nights. We're going through that amazing book of Genesis, and we're about to come to the story of Adam and Eve. But a little preview there is Adam and Eve, when they are created by God in his image, and he breathes life into them, he gave them such a deep and abiding relationship with himself that he himself walked with them in the cool of the day. They had a walking, talking, living, breathing, face-to-face relationship with the Lord. And it is that that they forfeited. And so since that time, man has in essence been working his way back via the scarlet thread of redemption. As we're brought to faith in Christ, we then are renewed in our minds, we're renewed in our spirits, we're being transformed into the image of Jesus and brought back to what God intended in the very first place, which is a deep relationship with him. God is so in tune to this that the whole Bible really lays kind of, in a sense, these contradictory things. In other words, when Paul says the work of the flesh is evident, and he goes on and lists all these things that are the works of the flesh, hatred and strife and envy and evil and those things, and he says the work of the Spirit is also evident. The reason those lists exist is so that we can kind of do some self-analyzing, some introspection. We can say, how are we doing at actually living these things out? John the Apostle, as he's writing in his first letter, there in the fourth chapter of 1 John, says this in verse 20, if a man says, now think on this for a second, if a man says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is the liar, And the truth is not in him. Now why would John say that? Because the truth is, doctrine, God is love, should relate to, I love who God loves. And he loves people. So you can't say that you're a believer and then act as though you're an unbeliever and really make the case that you actually know God. Now, praise the Lord for his grace in our imperfection in doing these things. But the truth is, if we claim to be believers, then our lives should bear witness of that truth in how we live. And if they don't, then we need some adjustment. There are some further things that we need to offer to God. And we're going to see a way to start that process as we look through uh, these two verses tonight. I want to also draw your attention to the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 5. We'll get there in a few months. But as he's dealing with the Pharisees, you see, the Pharisees knew their Bibles, so to speak. Now, they didn't carry around Bibles. If anything, they would probably have some Torah scrolls. They would have had what we call the first five books, the the Pentateuch. So they would have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would have those books, but those books spoke of the grace of God. 
But to those Pharisees in John chapter 5, he said, You search the scriptures, for you think that in them, the scriptures, you have life. Eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. Do you see the difference between religion and relationship there? Jesus was saying, if you really loved God, if you understood actually what the scriptures say, then you would come to me and have a relationship with me. You wouldn't just know what the scriptures say. Can I share with you a little thing that happens to me fairly frequently? I'm guessing it probably does with you as well. If you walk with the Lord for any length of period of time, and, and people know that, and other believers come to you for counsel, if you're one of those people that's had the opportunity to share with somebody from God's Word about something that's going on in your life, have you ever heard the phrase, I know? Very similar to what Jesus was saying. You know the scriptures. You know what they say. But you don't do it. You don't live it. Oh, you can quote it chapter and verse. But when it gets down to the living, it's not what you do. The Lord is concerned with how we live our lives. And so he begins by asking us a simple thing. Are you selfish or are you sacrificial? We get a little exhortation here in these two verses, so don't take it too hard. We're all going to get the same message. But can I tell you that Jesus wants every last bit of you? He does not want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. He does not want a percentage, even if it's a controlling percentage. You see, sometimes we treat the Lord Jesus much like we would a stock option. As long as we have 51%, we're good. Jesus doesn't want to be 51%. Jesus wants to be 100% Lord of your life. And in order to do that, it's not about you getting more from him. It is about you giving him more of you. Verse 1, Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, please circle that word, because you're not in this conversation unless you're one of those. These words are spoken to believers, people who have received the grace of God, Christians, people who have identified with the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who said, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the only way you can be a brother, a sister, part of the brethren. If you're not a believer, then what follows after this really is an impossibility for you. Because you have to first be a child of God in order to act like a child of God. 
You can't be one without being one. Can I tell you, people try. You know how we know that? Religion. No relationship and basically no living. It's a list of rules and regulations and doing. It's not being. God is interested in who you are. And the only way to be what he wants you to be is to give up who you were before you met him. That's why he goes on to say, very impactful two verses here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Oh, and praise God for the mercies of God. And we'll look at those in depth here in a moment. That you present your bodies a living what? Sacrifice. Doesn't say a living testimony. It doesn't say a living example. It doesn't say a, a living tool. Doesn't say a living pocketbook. It says simply and concisely a living sacrifice. Because we as the body of Christ are priests unto the Lord. We are to do what the high priest did. Which is to offer up our own lives as a burnt offering. Every last bit of you gets consumed every single day. For the priest in the courtyard, they would go in the morning and offer up a sheep, a lamb, a burnt offering. And in the evening, another sheep or a lamb or a burnt offering, and the whole of it was consumed. And that's the picture here. Offer your own body... As a living sacrifice. And then he tells you what that should look like. Holy. <laughs> Yikes. Couldn't you leave that word out? Holy. That means to bear the imprimatur of God. To act like, walk like, talk like, exist like, think like, be like, in every way, shape, form possible, God himself. Because scripture says about God, Be ye therefore holy, for I am holy. It doesn't say kind of, sort of, be good every once in a while. It doesn't say when you feel like it, could you please represent me well. It doesn't say if you're having a good day, I hope you kind of smell like me a little bit. It says to us as the body of Christ, be ye therefore holy, for I am holy. And the way we do that is by giving our own lives as a sacrifice to be consumed to make God known because we are holy like he is holy. Do you get it? This is a tall order to fill. Acceptable to God. You know, people skip over that part very often. Do you know what's acceptable to God? Perfection and holiness. That's what's actually acceptable to him. Now, he loves us in spite of the fact that we miss that standard, but his standard nonetheless is up here in the heavens. 
It's not down here where you'd like it to be. Or I'd like it to be. There are times when I'd like God to drop, Lord, could you lower the standard just a little bit? You know, with that really mean person, could you take the standard, you know, could you just make it if I'm kind of, sort of, if I don't kill him, is that okay? You understand what I'm saying, and I'm just simply saying to you, we want to make God in our own image, and he wants to make us in his image. So there's a battle for control, and the only way that it is going to work out for you is if you give up control, and you live your life as a living sacrifice. You say, God, you can have all of me. Every bit of it. And then just in case we missed it, which is your reasonable service. It's not exactly something that we ought to scoff at. It should be something we look at and go, well, for what Jesus has done for me, that's the least I can do. Do you understand what God's trying to say in this passage? We're supposed to live our lives in such a way that we're no longer selfish. Is it evident to anyone else in this room that we live in the most narcissistic country on the face of the earth? We do. It's nuts. It's crazy. How selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed people we have become. No, I'm not saying that about all of you, and I'm not saying that about everyone with too much generality, but when you look at the world, the world does not reward this kind of behavior. But God does. God loves sacrificial living. God loves it when we give ourselves away. God loves it when we test and see if he is not good. God loves it when we take him up on his challenge. That if we give away what we have, we cannot outgive God. God loves it when we do that. Because that is exactly what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. He gave everything. He held nothing back. And we are the beneficiaries of it. And verse 2, the richness of these verses. Oh, my goodness. And do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't let the world press you into its mold. The world tries to do that, amen? It tries to do that through media. It tries to do that through uh, our living standards. It tries to do that through attaining of things and homes and cars. I like nice cars, I really do. But you know, when they start getting up and they're worth more than most people's homes in the world, maybe we ought to think about that a little bit. (laughs) And if you happen to have one of those, praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you Jesus, and I'm glad for you. However, what I'm trying to say is we are so concerned with stuff that ultimately is going to burn that we end up getting conformed to this world. So before you know it, you can't really give your life a sacrifice that's your reasonable service to God because you're too busy being conformed to this world. 
You just got to let go. It says, gives you a contrast, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, you have to learn how to rethink things. You see, when you didn't know Jesus, you thought a certain way. And now that you know Jesus, you need to think a different way. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, you've got to get rid of your stinking thinking. You need to start thinking correctly. Because you're letting the world press you into its mold, and you're supposed to be shaping the world with the image of Jesus. So your mind ends up getting renewed. And I love that. You know, renewed means exactly what it sounds like. It is to make new again. It was once new, it got ruined, and now you're going to make it new again. Because when you were born, you had the capacity. You, did, you knew no sin when you were born. You were born with a sin nature, but until you did sin, you were sinless. And for most of us, that was probably 30, 40 seconds after you entered into this world. You started crying for no reason. You were whining about things that didn't even exist. And you're just like, well, just cuddle me. Because you wanted what you wanted. Then as you get to thinking, it's like, well, if I just do this, I can get some more of that. And pretty soon, instead of getting a bottle... You're getting a car or a house or a spouse. You see, we all have the same problem. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Now, when people say, well, you know, it's grace, brother. It is grace, brothers and sisters. You are saved by grace and through faith. That is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Don't let anybody tell you any different. If you're getting to heaven, you're getting there by the grace of God. Amen? Say amen. Okay, good. Because we want to get that part straight. But that doesn't free you from what this says. That truth does not free you from what this says it actually makes this an imperative. That you may prove. In other words, if you are saved by grace, and if you are a child of God, and if your mind is being renewed, and if you are not being conformed to this world, but rather transforming this world, because you are a grace kid, then your life should prove it. Your life should prove it. Your life should prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God, not will of Jeff. Wow. That's a hunk of meat right there. That's a tomahawk porterhouse of doctrine right there. That's like you ain't finishing that one. You see, as you think on this, because we do live in a self-centered world, we can break this down a little bit, and I think we can do this very fairly concisely. You see, worshiping God and serving him go together. 
Worshiping and serving go together. The very first time that we see a word that's associated with worship in Scripture, it's the high priest of the Most High God, Melchizedek. He worships. He's bowing down. He's paying homage. He's giving tithe. He's saying, I serve you. And from there on out, everyone who's ever worshipped falls in that category. Worshipping and giving, worshipping and serving, worshipping and surrendering, worshipping and you giving everything you are to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords go hand in hand. But there are a lot of Christians that want salvation and they want to keep their sin. There are a lot of Christians that want to go to heaven, but they want to look like hell. There's a lot of Christians that want the grace of God, but they don't want to do the works of righteousness. Family of God. The Lord is gracious and kind, and he is merciful and good, but he has required of us that we live our lives as living sacrifices because you cannot worship a God you will not serve. Did you hear what I said? You cannot worship a God you will not serve. And that means you need to turn over your life to his lordship. That's how that gets proved in verse 2. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not necessarily a child of God. It means if you're really one of God's kids, then your life should indicate it. People should be able to look at it and and tell that there's something substantially different between you and the world. That's that being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not being conformed to this world so that people can't tell a bit of difference between you and the world. We need to be different than this world. That's how people come to know Jesus. They see our lives. And they go, That's different than the world. You see, we have to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And the spirit of God and the glory of God go together. If you're going to worship God in spirit, you're going to end up glorifying him with your life. Because we are a spiritual priesthood, exactly as 1 Peter 2 says. We are a spiritual priesthood then we're supposed to be offering our lives up as a sacrifice. That's how we do it now. God's not asking you to go kill any of your pets. He's saying, but would you die yourself to me? I'll take your whole life. I want you, Jeff Gill, I want you to put yourself daily on the altar, and I want you to let my holy fire consume your life. And that smell that comes up off that altar will be a sweet savor to me. Because it will be exactly what Paul said. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. That's what it means to be an offering to the Lord. That's what it means, in essence, to be sanctified, to be saintly, to be saint-like. To be as much like the Lord as we possibly can. 
So in essence, what he's saying is there is a correlation between how we live our lives, the work that we do, the things that we do, do matter. Don't mistake the grace of God. God has not set us free by his grace so that we can live any longer in the dictates or the lusts of our own flesh. He has set us free so we can be free indeed to serve him as an offering. Lord, take me and use me should be our cry. We see the things that are in this passage, and we're going to look at the four offerings. There's four elements. There's four things that you can pull out of this passage. When Jesus reiterated the the greatest commandment, Jesus only said what it has always been. And so there in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 22, he is repeating what had already been said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And what he says there is, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, your complete consciousness, with all of your mind. In other words, he's saying you'll love God with everything. Nothing held back. And then, love your neighbor exactly like that. In other words, give him everything that you are, And then treat everybody else exactly like that. In other words, serve people. Love them. That's why in Mark 10, there in verse 44, what does it say? He who desires among you to become the greatest in the kingdom shall become the the servant of all. The offering for all. The one person who will say, You can have every bit of me, God. All that I am belongs to you. He gives us some ways to understand this. Four offerings. First. The first one is, he's got to have you to begin with. Do you get it? He's got to have you. You can't kind of, sort of be a Christian. And there are people that play with that. There are people that say, well, you know, I, I believe in God. There are people that say, well, I, I believe in, in moral goodness. There are people that say, well, I go to church. There are people that say, I have a King James Bible. There are people that say, my grandmother's mother's great aunt's uncle was a pastor. There are people who say, I have been to VBS for 20 straight years. There are people who say, I give. There are people who say, I, I, I've always been a Christian. No, let me make this clear. You must believe in the only begotten Son of God. 
It's not believing in church. It's not believing that the Bible is true. It's not you doing works of righteousness. It is by believing on the only begotten Son of God that one becomes a child of God. And that means you believe that God's own Son came to this earth. He lived on this earth. He was born uh, a virgin birth, fully God, fully man. He committed no sin while he was here. He lived a perfect life. He was murdered on Calvary's cross. He was buried in the grave. He was raised three days later. And right now he is interceding before all of mankind before the throne of God. That's how you become a Christian. Now all those other things, you may do all those things afterwards. What the Apostle Paul is saying, look, the first of these offerings is that you actually are a believer. A real believer. And so he uses a word here to urge people to that end. He uses parakaleo. It means one to come alongside. He's kind of coming alongside of us and he's pushing us like little birds out of the nest. He's saying, look, you need to stand on your own two feet with Jesus. You need to be a holy. You need to be a living sacrifice. You must first be offered to God yourself or the rest of these things you cannot do. He says, that's how you come to the mercy of God. That's how that happens. I can't receive the mercies of God in their fullness unless I'm a child of God in completeness. I cannot receive the mercies of God in fullness unless I am a child of God in completeness. He has to have all of me. Otherwise, I'm going to miss many of the mercies he has for me. Because his mercies are indeed new every morning and they are monumentally wonderful and varied. Here in the book of Romans, I mean, it's staggering what we've seen attributed to the mercies of God. You see, what he's really saying is, I'd like 100% of you because I gave you 100% of me. I want all of you for my purposes because I held nothing back at Calvary's cross. Jesus was not hanging on the cross and saying, Father, forgive Well, everybody but. He said, Father, forgive them in totality, for they know not what they do, meaning all of us. He didn't say to tell us, he didn't say it is finished, except for, you know, we've got some people on the earth, and I mean, mean, come on, I mean, can't be finished for them. No, it's finished, period. Jesus completed the work of salvation on the cross. It's done, it's over, it's finished. So if you want the mercies of God, if you want his love, you see, because the top two mercies are his love and his grace. That's the top two. And if you have those, then all the other things that come your way. You see, the mercies of God are reflected in his power, we saw Back in in chapter 1, his power of his salvation comes through his mercy. His great kindness towards those who were once slaves. 
We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And the mercy of God, because remember the word mercy, please lock this into your thinking. The grace of God is you receiving what you have not earned. The mercy of God is you not getting what you have earned. Do you understand the difference? Because you've earned some stuff, and it ain't good. You, you should get some things, but you're not going to get it. So when you think of the mercies of God, everything that's listed is thereby undeserved. You should actually get the opposite. The mercies of God in Christ Jesus bring us forgiveness. What you should get is judgment. The mercy of God brings us propitiation, price paid for our sin, an erasure of your debt. What you should get is you should have to pay it yourself. So when he says, I beseech you, brethren, by all of the mercies of God, Make sure you're thinking about that in the much broader sense. What are the mercies of God? The mercies of God, because of that, you've received reconciliation. The fullness of your accounts in heaven have been squared by Jesus. What you should have is a massive debt that you cannot pay. By the mercies of God, I therefore beg you, brothers and sisters... Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Do you understand what he's saying? He's not using this little word mercy in some kind of abstract vacuum. He's saying the mercies of God. The mercies of God have brought you justification. You have been made as if you have never sinned. Even though you did sin today, most likely. Every last one of you. But by the mercies of God... He sees you as though you have never sinned. Sins erased. By the mercies of God, you have confirmation into the image of Christ. By the mercies of God, you have glorification. One day, total and full, you'll make it to heaven and you are going to be like Him. By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, you've been made sons and daughters. Think of that one for a second. If you were God, would you adopt you? I wouldn't adopt me. Give me some good kids. By the mercies of God, you're in his family. By the mercies of God, you have the paracleto. You have the paraclete. You have the helper in you. That's the mercies of God. Can you imagine God in the form of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of rotten you? You see, every time you sin, God's there to see it. You talk about the mercies of God, that God would have anything to do with us. That he would have saved us in the first place. But he does. By the mercies of God, you actually have been given a gift of faith. What God should have done is said, I'm not telling them about it. Do you see what the mercies of God are? Think about the mercies of God. 
What has God done for you that you don't deserve? And in fact, he should have done the exact opposite. I always joke with people. Like, man, if I was God in the garden, I'm like, (laughs) make me another Adam right now. (laughs) Oh, that one's better. But the mercies of God, what does God do? What does God do? I'm going to reconcile this wretched, disobedient guy that I stuck in the absolute perfect environment with this hot, naked babe. Let's get real about the garden, man. They're in Hawaii, naked. And that's not good enough for them. Well, we want to eat in that tree. One stinking tree in the whole Garden of Eden. Of that tree you shall not eat. I ain't dishing out no mercy when that happens. What does God do? Sacrifices an innocent animal and covers their sin with blood. That's nuts. You don't think God loves you? The Garden of Eden is proof that He loves the world. Mercies of God have given you His righteousness. You realize you bear the image of God? You know, sometimes we, we deal with things in our life. You know, you, you walk into Nordstrom's. Anybody ever get like a little queasy when you go in there? I do. I'm like, honey, these shoes are $1,350. But you know, when you put those on, you like, you like look better. God has placed His righteousness on you. He has taken his own divine image and cloaked you in it. You got all gussied up at Nordstrom's by God. And it cost you nothing. You didn't pay a thing for it. You went in, somebody handed you a card that says you can take everything in the store by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, he's actually going to give you his glory. Now, you guys in here need to like repent like right now. Because we're all about the glory as men, aren't we? we? We have to, you know, it's like, yeah, I won that basketball game when I was three. <laughs> you talk to any guy, we've never failed at anything ever. Because it's all about the glory. Our own. But God loves us so much, instead of punishing us for our arrogant foolishness, He literally shares His own divine glory with us. By the mercies of God. So when He says, you got to be one of me, Remember who you are by the mercies of God. Think about what that means. And to wrap this up, he simply gives us three more things. 
So what does he say for us to do? It's pretty obvious. He needs all of you. So what does he say? Present your body to me as a living sacrifice. Your body's not yours. When someone says, this is my body and I can do with it as I please, a child of God should instantaneously say, that's not true. So one of the reasons that I believe it is impossible for a true believer to accept abortion because everybody belongs to God. And when you have given your body over to God, then you cannot do with it as you please because it's not yours, it's His. That's only one example. The same is true for drugs. The same is true for alcohol. The same is true for sexual sin. The same is true for, get this, gluttony. We don't like to say that word. Do you realize that part of why the world was destroyed in Noah's flood was gluttony? When so much of the world has so little, I know I'm I'm jacking up some people's heads right now, but I'm telling you straight up, your body does not belong to you. Your body belongs to God. And if you're here tonight and you're married... You might want to read Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And furthermore, if you're married, your body then belongs to your spouse and not you. So you got two people that own it before you got it. (laughs) Present your body, burnt up offering, to God. It's only reasonable. Why? It's real simple. What did Jesus leave on the cross? A hundred percent. And he's asking you to do the same with yourself. I gave you all of me. Give me a hundred percent of you. He wants to accomplish his work on this earth through you. Let him have your body to do it. Let him have your eyes and what you watch. Let him have your thoughts. And we'll get to that in a moment. Let him have your hands. Let him have your feet. Let him have your person, your persona. Let him have all of you. Everything that you physically represent on this earth belongs to God. He's entitled to it. So our reasonable action, our reasonable thought is, God, because of the mercies that you have given me, And by the way, I didn't even scratch the surface of all of the mercies of God. I just gave you 23 of them, and I didn't scratch the surface. I didn't scratch the surface. We could go on all, we can stay here all night if you want. We'll cover some more of the mercies of God. But because of the mercies of God, give him your body. Let him burn it up for him. Good news is he's not going to literally burn you up. He's not going to burn you out. He's going to use you fully and completely. There are only two, count them, one, two. Everybody can count to two? Good. Slate. There are two living sacrifices in the whole of the Bible. 
There were humans. Isaac and Jesus. What's the thing that ties them both together? They held nothing back. Can you imagine when it came upon Isaac? Jesus is easy. Can you imagine when the thought process came upon Isaac? Here's Abraham and him. Dad, this is a cool hike. Where are we going? Mount Moriah. Where's it at? It's up there on that hill. What are we doing? Gonna have a barbecue. Yeah, this is cool. I got, I got the coals. I, I got the fire right here. Man, this, this, man you, this is an awfully big pile of wood you're having me carry. Yeah, we'll need it. What happens? They get there. All of a sudden, it hits Isaac. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? God will provide himself a lamb. So the picture of the living sacrifice, Isaac and Abraham both saying, I don't know how you're going to work this out, God. I only got one son. I I didn't think I'd have any. Me and Sarah weren't exactly on the list of high birthing couples. But if you say so, Abraham says, I'll give you my son. And Isaac says, Dad, I trust you. And if this is what it takes, you take my life. Does that give you a little idea of a living sacrifice and what it should look like? That means nothing would you hold back and nothing you yourself you would not do. Wow. And of course, Jesus modeled that, did he not? It was God. He wasn't just good old Jesus. He was God. Father, I'm holding nothing back. If there be any way that this cup can pass from me, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Mind-boggling. what it means to be a living sacrifice it's the right response I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God and then the commitment it's your reasonable service the third offering your mind your thought life the way you think matters to God Because your mind generally controls your body. And your spirit is supposed to control your mind, your will. So these things are all linked together. If you're a believer, then your body belongs to God. And in order that your body do what it's supposed to do, your mind is supposed to belong to God fully. Your thought life. The world controls your thinking then you will be exactly what is warned against here. You'll be a conformer. If the world controls your thinking, you will be exactly what is said here. You'll be a conformer. But if God controls your thinking, then you will be exactly what is said here, 
a transformer. You see the two? Lay them side by side and ask yourself what the secret is. It's who controls your mind. You cannot be a transformer for God if you are a conformer to this world. If your mind is affected every moment of every day by what people think, what the world offers, the very thing that John would say to us as he would write his epistle, do not love the world. For all that is of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all of it is passing away. But he who does the will of the Father shall abide forever. If you want to be a transformer, you must allow God to renew your mind. You've got to give him your thoughts. So many Christians fail in the thought process. They never even get to give their body because they fail at the thoughts. Give God your thoughts. And the fourth offering that we should make in order to have that right relationship to where those mercies are full is you have to just not only give them your mind and your body, but that which promotes your direction, which is your will. You see, your will is kind of like that format, that template through which everything is thought and done. It's your basic understanding of the world around you. And when Jesus himself addressing this issue, he says to his own father, there in Luke 22, not my will. Father God, your will be done. You see, you link all these things together. And it's how we serve the Lord. This is it. This is a template for us. You see, you can't control your life with raw willpower. Anybody in here that's ever struggled with drugs, alcohol, sexual sin, you can't do it with willpower alone. I'm telling you right now, you will fail. I don't care how many programs you go to. I don't care how many... Drugs you may take to get rid of drugs. I don't care how much happy thought thinking you do. I don't care how many wristbands you wear and snap them when you have a... If your thought life is not governed by the will of God, then eventually it will catch up with you. You have to have a new mind. And it has to be governed by a, a new Lord. It can't be you anymore. You have to submit to his will. And his will is, be ye therefore holy, for I am holy. By the mercies of God, present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Let your mind be renewed and transformed. See, these are reasonable things. Because of what Jesus did for us. So if you want to move from 
doctrine to duty, if you want to move from religion to relationship, if you want to move from learning to living, then here's the four secret steps, four offerings you need to make. Number one, you. All that you are. Number two, your body. Give them everything you are, everything you own. Everything that someone would say, this is mine. Because it's no longer yours, it's his. Give him your mind. Everything you think. Every reason you think it. And give him the thing that drives your mind, and that is your will. Surrender your will to his will. Nevertheless, not your will, but his will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll pray? I was going to be blunt. I know there's people in this house tonight. But you can tell me right now from where you're standing, Jeff, that ain't me. That's not what's going on in my life. I'm not walking in victory because I'm not surrendering. I'm not walking in victory. I don't even know what victory is. I'm not walking in victory because I I want my body for me. I'm not walking in victory because I want to think what I want to think. I'm not walking in victory because I, I want my will over God's will. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes right now. Bow your heads, please. And if you're here tonight, you want a fresh start. You don't want to live like this anymore. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up in the air right now. See that hand? I see that hand. I see those hands. See those hands to my right, to my left. There are hands up all over the sanctuary. If that's you tonight and you want to start fresh, here's the good news. The mercies of God are new right now. Just put your hand up. I want to pray with you. Nothing weird. Nothing strange. You're not going to have to join something. You are something. I see that hand in the back. Anyone else? Let's get this done, family. Let's stop playing around. Time is short. Our king is coming. And if you want to be used of him, put your hand up right now. You want to keep going the way you've been going, don't put your hand up. It's okay. I don't don't want to shame you. But I'm telling you, God has things for you tonight, right now, that you don't even know what they are. But he wants to do them. His hands up all over the sanctuary. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus... And you want to know him. You want to take that first step. Put your hand up nice and high. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise God. Time is short. The day is at hand. No one knows when the Son of Man comes. Those that raised your hand to receive Christ, please pray this with me. Just 
pray it out loud, mean it from your heart. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I want to give you my life right now. I've been trying to live my life my way and it hasn't worked. And God, I'm giving up right now. I'm turning my life over to you. And I'm asking you to cleanse me of my sin and free me from it. I'm asking you to impart the Holy Spirit to me right now. I believe that Jesus Christ, God's own son, died for me on Calvary's cross. And I'm putting my trust and my hope and my eternal life in your hands, Jesus. Save me. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. And for the rest, these hands, Lord, that are raised right now in surrender before your throne of grace, O God, you know every circumstance. You know every last one of these hands, Lord. You knew them before they were even born. You know what they're struggling with. You know what they haven't surrendered. And God, we're asking tonight together, make tomorrow morning a new day. Free them, Lord, from the bondages of their bodies, the bondages of their mind, the bondages, Lord, of their wills getting in the way of yours. And God, would you create in them a new heart, a glorious heart, a heart that's soft and moldable and shapeable by your glory and your grace. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing right now in this place. We believe it's real. This is not a phony thing. This is heaven come to earth and touching our lives. And we believe, Lord, that you are able to keep that which you have committed unto the day of Christ Jesus. And so for all these hands, go all over the sanctuary, Lord. Do unto them as they have asked. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.